following podcast may contain spoilers. It's the Binge Movies feature presentation review of 1986's Flight of the Navigator. Folks, if you don't know what this is, this is a sponsored episode, which means one of our patrons, uh, one of the fine binge lords who listens to binge movies and when they're in the Akron, Ohio area, comes into the shop. Uh, One of those fine folks uh, basically, uh, they greased the skids. They put a little money in my pocket. They gave me a little bit of uh, cash. And I let him jump the line. I let him get ahead. And I said, you know what? Fuck all these other people. You gave me money. Pin me, pay me. I'll talk about whatever you want me to talk about. You hear the laugh in the background. She is a bad movie connoisseur. Uh, I I assume she likes good movies. She is the world's preeminent 19-year-old grandmother YouTuber slash model slash uh, health advocate. You are a polymath of several different things. <laughs> there is no one else who is the series of unique combination of things that you are, Lindsay Washburn. I, I am a jack of all trades and a master of maybe one or two. <laughs> we're doing a deep dive here. It's somebody sponsored, so we're going to go even deeper with it than we normally do. And I couldn't think of anybody better than you because all jokes aside, uh, you are... Uh, one of the great researchers on YouTube. There's a lot of people talking out their ass, Washburn. Are, You're not one no, of them. No, I do my research. I, I love to do my research. It's it's a holdover from my uh, English lit college days where you're in the library for hours and hours and hours and making sure you can back up what you're talking about. So <laughs> You are a classically trained actress. You are an English lit graduate. Did you graduate with English lit grad? With honors. <laughs> with honors. Her modeling portfolio is on the interwebs if you want to see that. Her social, I, I, like, what haven't you done? Um, I, I, there's still a lot I'd like to do, so I, I keep a list. And now you're here and in now Akron, Ohio. Yes, I've made it. This is the pinnacle of your it life, is. I think. Of all the accomplishments. I can check this, this box off now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, was, it was on that bucket it list. Was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you can tell your grandkids, mm-hmm. Sonny, when you give him his Werther's original, yes. say, I got this Werther's original from the uh, Take a Penny, Leave a Penny, the little, we had a little candy tray next to Binge Movies, and they wanted you to have this. So this is a Akron-sourced Werther's original. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, before we go into our personal histories, mm-hmm. we got a lot to talk about as far as the production of this movie. Yes. Then we'll break it down personally. Then we'll do a little game we like to call Pass a Recast. Then we'll talk about the plot of the film. Let's start straight off the top. The guy who directed this movie, uh, Randall Kleiser, mm-hmm. you might know him from a little movie called Grease. 
Uh, he's the director of Grease. Yes. Of like, listen to this guy's credits here, Lindsay. Grease, Blue Lagoon, which is uh, somehow not been canceled, even though it's filled with much gratuitous teenage nudity, and was a box office hit. Right. <laughs> Big Top Pee Wee. Oh my gosh. White Fang, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and if you are a Universal Studios head, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. He directed the uh, little movie for the ride, which I was a, a poor child from the Midwest, so I never made Me it either. to Universal Studios. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're another Midwesterner, yep, isn't that correct? I grew up poor Midwestern, so <laughs> I've never been to Disneyland yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> Me either. No Disney World, nope. no Disneyland. Yeah, the, the peak of my uh, childhood was going to, at the time, Paramount's Kings Island, oh which was outside of Cincinnati in Kings Mill, Ohio. We, we I think. had Adventureland. Pa- Par- <laughs> oh, but not the Adventureland where, is that, wait, there's, no, that's Action Park USA, yeah, we, that's yeah, New Jersey. That's New where, Jersey. That, where they killed all those yes. kids, yeah. Action, so yours was Action Land. Is the movie Action Land based on the Action Land of Iowa? Adventureland, Yeah, I don't think so. I mean... I mean, we had roller coasters and stuff, like permanently set roller coasters. These weren't like yeah. carnival rides. It was. It's actually a park. Yeah. It's still. It's still in existence, and and they they make more rides every year. So it's still going. Have you ever been a Have you ever been a carny? No, I have not. Okay, so that's that is. Do you juggle? Can you juggle? No, I can't. <laughs> well, by the, the next time you hear Lindsay on this juggling. podcast. She, She'll be a master juggler and have 5 million Instagram followers of her juggling account. Just juggling VHS tapes or something like that. I'll combine the two things together. Uh, this is a screenplay by Michael Burton. His other credits are Shoot to Kill, Aldrich Ames, Traitor Within. Those aren't real movies. Uh, they and don't exist. Matt, Matt, no. <laughs> Matt McManus. Uh, his all of his credits, he gets like a screenplay credit. All of his credits were just tons of U2 and Tom Petty concert films. Really? Uh, yeah, he's he's got like no other actual like narrative like based films. credits. Hmm. Yeah, and the original idea uh, came from a guy by name Mark H Baker. Mm-hmm. This is his sole writing credit. It's the first and only thing he ever wrote. Uh, and there's a doc that both of us watched yes. called Life After the Navigator. Mm-hmm. That's like a, a pretty mediocre documentary on it. It's paced very poorly. Yeah, but <laughs> um, it's. <laughs> It's part Flight of the Navigator doc, part uh, 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 Joey Kramer doc. And this guy talks about how the movie was originally going to be called Vanish. Yeah, it came from like a dream that he had. And the coolest thing, which I think they could probably use for the eventual sequel slash reboot, which we'll get to by the end of this episode, is that they rebuilt the ship. Off of the boys' memories. Yeah, that part sounded really interesting to me because it started out a lot more serious than the family-oriented film that we got. Because, like, at one time, Brian De Palma was interested in directing it and things like that. Yeah. And I I thought that was a really cool concept where they would... Because there's that one scene in the film where his brain is, like, projecting pictures of the ship and all this alien language through through their systems. I thought that would have been a really cool idea to do. Yeah, so this boy who doesn't know all this stuff is in his head, the star charts and the ship and all this sort of stuff. Uh, it, like the computers, somehow these uh, calculators right. <laughs> from the 1980s that had like five gig, not even a gig. No, they don't even they had no. a gig. <laughs> um, somehow it's all processing all this mm-hmm. alien stuff. 
and it's reading it off of his brain. And the idea that they would then like retro engineer a spaceship off of that with technology they don't really fully understand, then presumably the ship would come to life, I would assume, right? I don't know. I haven't read that script, but that seems kind of interesting. Yeah. It does seem really interesting. The music here is done by just coming off of Back to the Future, Alan Silvestri, which blew my mind when I watched the movie. I never realized it was him. I didn't until just this past watching because the the opening music, it almost reminded me of the opening music of Wild Things, the Kevin Bacon. Because, I mean, it's it's set in Florida also, but it's that... But it uses some of the same instruments and it's it's paced the same way. The it, Melodically, it's very similar. I was like, is this the same guy that did Wild Things? And I looked it up. I'm like, oh, no, it's Alan Silvestri. Holy crap. <laughs> I only know one scene from Wild Things, and it's not the opening, Lindsay. <laughs> this film was produced by PSO, which was Producers Sales Organization. Now, the majority of PSO library ultimately is with Lionsgate now, which is interesting. And also, they have a lot of their, because they don't exist anymore. So a lot of their assets are also with Icon International, which is, well, it was started by Mel Gibson. I don't think he's a part of it anymore. Um, they, you know their movies. They, they did mostly like international films. But you know their movies, uh, Short Circuit, Nine and a Half Weeks, Once Upon a Time in America, The Neverending Story, which mm-hmm. we'll come back to. Yes, there's so much crossover through all of these. <laughs> American Werewolf in London, Cujo, and Dead and Buried. Viking Film AS was this other producer on it, and basically they were like a Norwegian film company. Yeah. And part of the money, and it's like this is good, this is getting very granular, listeners. Yes, it is. We're going to get to the shit you care about here. A lot of times production companies, are, the, the money is kind of geo-locked, which is we'll, we'll provide financing, but you have to shoot it in a specific. You have to, you have to hire people here. You have to shoot it, shoot these, this much money here. You have to spend this much money in our country, essentially. Yeah. And, and states work the same way. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of people shoot in Georgia because. You get all those kickbacks and tax incentives. Right. And because you're essentially employing, the idea is a bunch of Georgians. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to build the film industry. Canada is another one that the U.S. has been using for years. Canada will give a bunch of tax incentives and money mm-hmm. incentives. And like you said, kickbacks. You have to hire X amount of Canadian crew members and what shoot X amount of your film there. Yep. So that's why a lot of stuff, especially TV, is shot like in the Vancouver area. Oh, yeah. And that's been going on for 30 years now. So this was the same sort of setup. So all of the interiors, everything that is... Uh, uh, our boy and Max in the ship. Mm-hmm. It was actually shot in Norway. Yes. <laughs> so they went from like uh, Fort Lauderdale slash Miami, Florida to, to Norway. Norway. <laughs> yeah, because Disney were, again, Disney doesn't pay dick Mm-mm. because they gave this script and they pitched it to uh, Disney. Mm-hmm. They put it under the Buena Vista Pictures label. They had uh, uh, domestic distribution rights, so probably like North America. Yeah. So they were like, but we're only going to give you so much money for this very ambitious, high-tech, revolutionary special effects. Right. <laughs> Uh, the film was released August 1st, 1986 on a budget of 9 million. It made 18.5 million, so mm-hmm. it's at least broke even. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the makers of the film will tell you it pretty much grew over time in home video. And that brings us to personal history. Mm-hmm. Is that where you saw it or where yeah, are, I, you, are you even old enough to have seen it in theaters? No, I did not see it in theaters. I saw it when it came out cuz they would play it on the Disney Channel all the time. 
It was yeah. on during the day and the evening. They yeah. played it at least once or twice a week. So that's where I first saw it was on the Disney Channel. Yeah. Were you alive in 1986? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was alive in 1986. <laughs> Were you born in 1997? That's what I meant. That's what I'm trying to get at. We're trying to suss out here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was very much alive in 1986. So. Okay. All right. <laughs> I didn't see I didn't see this in theaters either. I was I was kind of young to have seen mm -hmm, theaters. I was around, but I I was would have been too tiny probably to if if I if I saw it I wouldn't even remember it. That's how tiny it was. <laughs> this was something that somebody we knew or some after school program or something had this on VHS and it was like a rainy day movie when you couldn't mm -hmm. play outside. Yep. We're gonna put this on because it's a relatively inoffensive. Yes. Um, film, and we'll get into it when we get into the plot, but I had so many fond memories of watches because the choices were for the rainy day movies, like the Shaggy DA and Shaggy Dog Rides Again and Herbie yeah. Goes to an Orgy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think one of ours was Space Camp, that kind of oh, film. Oh, I've got, I've got you Space, Space Camp, Camp right behind me here in this... <laughs> Here in the, yeah, I've got Space Camp right behind here, yeah. Oh, my God. They came to Space Camp with a dream of becoming astronauts. I want to be the first female shuttle commander. Woo! Suddenly, without warning... We have overheat on booster B. America's most unlikely heroes... Boy, so we're ...were launched into space. Do it. <laughs> space Camp, the sneak preview. This summer's greatest adventure is about to begin. Rated PG. Special sneak preview Saturday. My mom signed us up for, somebody was like, well, there's this company and they'll give you family movies because, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so my mom was like, whoa, sign us up because it's cheap. Because again, <laughs> no money. So they would just mail us these monies. I think it was, I think it was like family features or something. Like that oh, was what it was called. yeah. Yep. It was a, turns out it was a mail order Mormon movie company. Yep. And so somehow they got the rights to Space Camp, which was an actual movie. Yeah, it wasn't produced by them. <laughs> <laughs> no. And they gave us Space Camp, and we're like, oh, okay. And then they gave us a series of Mormon movies, the most notable of which is The Buttercream Gang. I have it on the shelf over there. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! And it's got so a I've sequel, been... too. I can't remember the name yeah, of the sequel, though. Yeah, I've got it back here. Yes. I've got it back here. <laughs> Feature Films for Families invites you to see its most treasured film. A story about unconditional love and the courage of true friendship. I'm confused, Pete. What do you really want? I want you to hate me. Pete, you're my friend. I can't hate you. I've been talking about the buttercream gang and inserting buttercream gang clips yes. into this podcast for five years. No other human being, no other guest. I've dropped so many references. My old co-host. Oh my God. Nobody knows what the fuck that movie is. Except for, I'm just going to say it. Jason from Binge Movies in 19-year-old female form. Lindsay Washburn. Yeah. The buttercream dream. And uh, now I know the next episode you'll have to appear on, right? So is the buttercream gang <laughs> retrospective? <laughs> okay, now but now back to what they're paying back us to the what big we're bucks supposed for. To be talking about. <laughs> okay, 
This this film has sixty one total effect shots in it. Um, William Krenner Kreber did all the exterior designs for the for the models. There are uh, only only eighteen of the final shots out of sixty one, or use any computer graphics. Yeah, it's crazy. When they die, like I can't even begin to explain. You need a visual medium to be able to explain how they did some of these shots. Yeah. Because they were using old, like, sleight of hand mm-hmm. uh, no, but, sort of stuff. Yeah, the, the yeah. amount Mirrors. of... Mirrors. You would think... Because um, today this would all be done with computers. Everything they did. But they didn't have the money to do this. Because back then, like, every single uh, special effects shot cost, like... I can't. It was either thirty thousand or seventy thousand. I can't remember which figure it was. Yeah, I think but it was thirty grand. Thirty grand yep. for each shot. So they had to be creative in what they were doing. And there's so many of these old school sleight of hand and and force perspective and using miniatures uh, that they they implemented and the the stairs going up to the ship. How they would use camera work to hide like steel beams that were holding it in place and stuff like that. Just these old school tricks that nobody knows how to do anymore because it's all done with computers and they just use their creativity to to save some money and get these shots done that you that, that look like they're done in a computer you can't you can't figure out how they do it until they explain it to you yeah for the life of me i never knew the the coolest thing to me is i knew even as a kid okay when the the door goes all liquid metal mm-hmm. which is, is well this is one of the first films to use that sort of appearance of yes. the liquid metallic look. Mm-hmm. And according to somebody on the one doc, they either said that James Cameron said to them that mm-hmm. he saw the movie and was inspired for Terminator 2. Yes. Is that true? I don't know. I like to believe that it is. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, they're using the same technology that they used in T2 five years before T2 came yes. out. So it's definitely rev- revolutionary to say it directly influenced him. Maybe, maybe not. But it is possible. It may have been a thing where he had an idea in his head, but it wasn't possible. And then he saw a movie that was Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's close to what I want to do. And Mm -hmm. obviously he would go on to kind of like beta test it with the abyss and the water and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So I could I could see like the technology inspiring him. I don't know if Flight of the Navigator was (laughs) the inspiration (laughs) for Terminator 2. Um, yeah, so the director and a couple other people kind of came up with this idea for that liquid metallic look. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it stop motion. Uh, the stairs, for instance, when they come down, mm-hmm. um, that's actually stop motion, which was there. There's a, another behind the scenes kind of documentary thing where like each stair in each of its because it's like frame by frame. So each step and each frame when it's transforming was a separate model. And they had to do it in a descending order. And they had they, they, the the stairs had to be marked on the back because they had to have them in the exact right sequence, exact same so, positions. It's, yeah, wow. so it's like step yeah step one frame one, step one frame two, step one frame three, step one frame four. So there's like six frames per step, six steps. So mm-hmm. you end up with like thirty some different individual stop motion shots just to make the stairs just come down. down. Yeah, something that lasts like a second and a half of of footage. <laughs> Yeah, and they didn't. They they wanted to be able to do that that unique uh, shot composition for when they went up, but they ran out of time and money. So it's just a reverse shot of them coming down. The computer that they used for this was allowed them to be the first movie to ever use reflection mapping. Yes, which was they could map a reflection onto the surface of the ship, 
And it, it is used in certain shots, but in certain shots it isn't. So anytime they're in the, in the clouds or anything like that, mm-hmm. that's actually a maquette that they shot. And they used white, uh, a parachute, a white ref- parachute, and they, sh- they lit it from reverse and reflected it onto the maquette. And that's what you're seeing. Then, then they just took that optical, almost like Star Wars did. Mm-hmm. They, so they filmed that with a separate camera, and then they put it into a print of the film shot that then they had to shoot a, a black version a blacked out version of the ship shoot that and then they layered it but that's what compositing is you're yes. compositing several shots mm-hmm. so that's where you get like those matte, matte outlining sometimes because mm-hmm. that's the the darker shot behind it kind of leaking through so that's what they had to do so even when we're seeing all these reflections and stuff it's a real maquette mm-hmm. where they're shooting a parachute on top of it because it looks like clouds. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's kind of indistinguishable. It is. So even when they use computers, uh, they still couldn't use them that much because it took so long to process yep. and was so expensive to use the computer. Oh, yeah. Now, if you really want to get real nerdy, Lindsay, <laughs> I know the names of the computers. They use the Foonly F1, oh, which is at that time... The only computer of its kind it had only been used in one other movie, which was Tron. And it just so happened that Rand, Randall Kleiser's, the director, his brother, worked for that company, Omnibus Computer Graphics, and had access to that computer. Uh, they were an early CGI vendor, and they were actually basically had invented this computer and were renting space on the Paramount lot. They had their own office set up. And we're just like a third party. They were working for, with all the studios. And it was just like a one-room studio. And it took, um, I think, 20 minutes or something like that to, to, um, to com- compile one frame. To render out a frame? Wow. And I think they had, it was like four computers, four giant-ass computers in a row. It still used an actual physical camera. And then it would feed it into the computer system. So you still had to make the composite and then feed it into this computer, like a scanner almost. It would do all the parts it had to do, but there was so little memory in the, the memory banks for this computer that you, it could only hold two shots at a time. Oh, my God. That sounds incredibly tedious. <laughs> so, yes, it was. So here's what happened. Every time it got fed into a computer and it made its way past storage, they had to delete the thing they just did for it to continue working. So if anything screwed up, you had to completely start all over again. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> and this, this computer was famous for jamming the film. The actual film stock would jam. And you'd have to start the entire project over all again. All over again. Holy crap. Yeah. They got a yacht builder named Steve Austin. Not Stone Cold Steve Austin. Give me a hell yeah. I said give me a hell yeah. Yacht, yacht builder Steve Austin, who fabricated two 20-foot fiberglass full-scale ships. The first one weighed 700 pounds, Lindsay. The second one weighed 1,450 pounds. Jesus Christ. Well, I know that's, oh my God, that's crazy. Because they had one um, that they used uh, that was on a forklift that they would, you know, try to hide where it was sticking in and stuff like that. It was a custom-built crane that mm-hmm. had to be configured in a way that it could hold 14, I mean, almost, you know, 1,500 pounds, right. but not be seen. It had yeah. to be at just the right angle so that you couldn't see it. 
So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's a, kind of amazing, <laughs> honestly. And it's a it's such a smart ship design because you could tell that they had some forethought going into the design about okay, how is this going to affect the the effects that we want to do with it? Because you can yep. have that 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 liquid metal look, but they added those ridges into it. Yeah. Which can kind of disguise some of the mapping that they did where where if it doesn't look absolutely perfect, those ridges are kind of camouflaging it just enough where it makes it look even better and more realistic. Now, here's the sad thing. Those two ships were actually on display at Disney MGM in Florida, which is now Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Yep. Uh, and uh, one of them, I think, exists, but it was retrofitted into a smoothie—the top of like a, a, a drink smoothie shop place yeah. at Epcot yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, now there's a YouTuber, uh, Captain Disillusion is his name, <laughs> and he did like a two-hour special effects breakdown of this. Holy! So crap. some of these notes I got from him. Some it's just I sourced them from all over the internet. If you really want to go do a deep, deep, deep dive, I would look up yeah his information. In fact, I will link his video in the show notes to give him proper credit. That's the standout of this movie, right? Be- mm-hmm. we're, before we transition to the actual plot. Yeah. As a kid, even as an adult, probably even more so now, I'm so wowed by the ingenuity. They had to do real-time geometry mm-hmm. just to figure out how to light the model, where to shine the light, on the model and how that would correspond to the basically B-roll that they went out and shot of the sky and the, the, the lighting and all those shots. Yeah, they, were, they, they matched it up so well because there, there's not a seam and, and the ship changes shape in the middle of the shots and stuff like that. And then they had to account for that and, and, and they did it pretty much flawlessly. Yeah, we live now in a world where a computer's doing that. It's all, everything is a computer model, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's AI algorithms that are basically, they, they do the math for you. Mm-hmm. You just punch it in. Um, there's you know, several like special effects uh, houses that have YouTube channels or whatever. They'll be like, we're going to redo the, the trench run from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And what took people months to shoot with, with some computer help, right. uh, especially motion-controlled cameras where it was computer programmed, um, they're now able to do all of that, including the motion-controlled camera angles, all within a macbook right uh or well, mac that, desktop well that's like the guy that used just just like free software to redo henry cavill's mustache lip in the, in the justice league movie <laughs> and he did it better than those than the the special effects houses we're so used to anything being possible yes that we forget the days where somebody had to sit in a warehouse a sweltering warehouse and do like literal geometry on a napkin to figure out where do I put the light to light this Mm -hmm. ship, to get this shot, to do this thing. And everything had to be perfect down to the second, because if, if, if you didn't match to Mm -hmm. the second frame by frame, all of those elements, it would, it wouldn't work. The effect wouldn't work. And even beyond the, even beyond the special effects shots with the ship, just the interior that they built of the ship where everything like the chair comes out of the ground, everything worked and they thought about, okay, if this was really real, what purpose would it have? How would it move? Where would it be located? And they did all the the puppeting with the different creatures on the wall and Max himself, you know, how they had to have people up above with rigging, moving it around and then two puppeters 
and and just how they yeah because there's so many practical effects because because i mean the the big attraction to this movie is is the revolutionary special effects and computer generated effects but there's so many old school techniques puppetry all that stuff and sleight of hand and and figuring out ways to mask things in camera that that are really 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 interesting to me it's a form of craftsmanship mm-hmm. that does not exist anymore, really. It doesn't. To a different insane way of doing movies, which is you send a 12-year-old or 10-year-old boy to Norway for six weeks. Yep. <laughs> in <laughs> February, in the middle of their winter, where there is no daylight, to bebop around mm-hmm. with a hand puppet uh, that's later going to be voiced by Paul Rubens, mm-hmm. but on set was voiced by the guy who voiced... Who, Lindsay? Johnny Five. The the triumphant return <laughs> of you never heard his voice, but the onset's like puppeteer mm-hmm. was the guy who puppeteered and voiced Johnny Five, mm-hmm. who is also the voice of Frank the Pug in Men in Black. That's right. He did so many yeah. voices. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he's just like an effects guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's not principally a voice actor. He's principally he an effects fell guy. Fell into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Johnny Five was the original voice of Max. Mm-hmm. And then later they got Paul Rubens for no other reason than Randy Kleiser was like, I saw Pee Wee's Playhouse. I was like, well, we've we got that guy to do it. <laughs> there was no bigger explanation for why they got Pee Wee Herman. I didn't realize until re-watching this movie maybe 15 years ago that that was actually Paul Rubens. When I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, he's doing a Pee-wee impression. I didn't realize it was actually Paul Rubens doing the voice. <laughs> just Had doing no- Pee-wee? He was just doing a Pee-wee impression. Ah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's weird about it is the first half, and I think they've modulated his voice down mm-hmm. a little bit. In the first half, he's doing like a very straight, almost robotic voice. Yes. And then after the mind, yeah, the mind connection meld. swamp, yeah, mm-hmm. then he's like wacky and basically mm-hmm. like Johnny Five meets Pee Wee Herman. Yes. So. <laughs> well, that, that brings us to a little game we like to call Pass or Recast. <laughs> We're going to turbo our way through this, Lindsay, uh, which is really going to be harder for me because I talk more than you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's start with... Delirious, Joe, August, Fisher, Kramer, oh, Canada, Joey Kramer as David Freeman. Uh, what do you think of Delirious? I, that I, is his real name. His Deliri- name is Delirious. Yes. yes. Hippie parents. Hi- hippie mom born in a chicken shack yes. with a piece of shit father. That guy's, I, that guy's father was a piece of shit. Huge piece of shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was heartbreaking watching parts of that documentary. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I thought he did great. I mean, if you look at, uh, like, the kid actor zeitgeist of that time, he's, he's yeah. interchangeable with a few people as far as, like, commercial viability. Because, I mean, you've got the kid from E.T. A lot of people mistook him for the kid from E.T., yeah, I can see that. Uh, you've got David Mendenhall. If you, yes. If, like if Canon Films produced this, it would have been David Mendenhall. David Mendenhall, <laughs> yeah. He's better than David Mendenhall. He that, is. That no, I, I think... Yeah. I, <laughs> that kid sucks. I think Joey Kramer did a very going, good job. I've seen Going Bananas. That kid fucking sucks. He's really bad. <laughs> yeah, that kid sucks. <laughs> um, yeah, he's really good. He's a very obviously a Canadian child. Yes, 
And and even as a kid, when I watched it, I was like, there's something weird about the about way the that way this talks. kid talks. <laughs> now I recognize it as he's a Canadian who was raised by a hippie single mom. Mm-hmm. And so he's got a very kind of, uh, and there's nothing wrong with this, but he no. just has like a very sensitive kind of more feminine, emotional mm-hmm. way of talking. And they, in the documentary, they, I always thought it was weird that I picked that up, but um as a when they did the deep dive in his mm-hmm. movie, they go into that of like that's kind yeah. of was his what got him rolled yeah, was he, he was, was so, accessible. He was very accessible to his emotions, and he yeah. had this vulnerability that was very natural and believable. Because they didn't want a trained kid actor; they wanted someone yeah. who was going to come in and just be organic. And he did that so well. Yeah, and I think knowing through. what they yeah knowing what they wanted. Uh, yeah, he he more than delivered on that. And yeah, you, he here's the other thing, especially as an adult, now I recognize this is a 10, 12-year-old kid mm-hmm. who's on set all day long because he's in almost every shot of the yep. movie. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it with a hand puppet. He's doing yeah. it with a special effects guy. Yeah. He has nothing to act against. No, he doesn't. So he does amazing for that matter. So I'm going to give him a pass. We're going to move on to Paul Rubens. We didn't even know it was really him. No. We we thought it was somebody doing a Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman impression. Instead, he probably recorded all of his dialogue in a day. Probably. And, they were, and was just like, I'm just going to do the Pee Wee voice. Smoked a cigarette, took a drag, did the Pee Wee voice. Uh, what do you think of him as Max? No, I thought he did great, too, uh, because, like you said, he's, he's very much the robotic alien AI voice at the beginning and then he does the mind meld and you he starts picking up on these these uh, pop culture references and and jokes and way of speaking that the kid has and I, I thought yeah. that's kind of cool it's it's almost like T2 you know where the Terminator yeah. starts picking up the lingo and I mean his voice doesn't change but the way he speaks change but no I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't recast that one I, I like Paul Rubens in that role Credited as as Paul Mall. Paul Mall, (laughs) again, to the cigarette thing, yeah. Um, Let's go to Cliff DeYoung. If you've watched 80s movies slash early 90s movies and you've seen a lot of Cliff DeYoung, he comes off as a major turd in the documentary Life After the Navigator. Yeah. Uh, But the, the vast majority is him trying to get free sandwiches at the buffet line for the cast reunion. Like the one shot they have of him is him like he is like he's met this guy who's gotten out of prison. We we kind of skipped over, but Joey Kramer robbed a bank in 2016. Yeah. yeah. After a long time heroin addiction. Long storied career in and out of jail. Yes. And mm-hmm. basically was like, I'm gonna rob this bank to either get myself into long-term treatment, because in Canada they'll send you to a place to get treatment for what's actually wrong mm-hmm. with you. Uh, or <laughs> right. uh, I'll take them if I get away with it. I'll take the money and pay for treatment, or mm-hmm. uh, I'll kill myself with heroin. Those are yeah. my three options. Mm-hmm. And instead, they sent him to a year-long treatment facility. And uh, last we knew, he's back in the industry, doing working well. behind the scenes. Seems mm-hmm. to be doing well. Looks good. Handsome, handsome man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Cliff Young just showed up for a free turkey sandwich. <laughs> he's like hugging Joey Kramer. Is like. Where's yeah. your Where's your ankle where's your monitor house bracelet? Around? I'm yeah. like, you're such a dick. Why would you yeah. say that? You haven't seen this guy in like 20 years and or 30 plus years, and that's the yeah. first thing you say to him. Like, hey, remember yeah. when you were a piece of shit? Nah. Yeah, <laughs> like, and he says it while he's got a turkey sandwich in his hand. Oh like, my Fuck god. Fuck you, man. Uh, what do you think of him as the dad, Bill Freeman? I mean, 
the the family characters aren't the main focus of the movie, yeah. so they're kind of interchangeable. So I, yeah. I, I I don't think the the actors and actresses that are there, you know, brought anything dynamic to the roles. It was just it's it, there there was no opportunity for them to do that, you know, because yeah, yeah. the role isn't very big. It's just they're they're the family and they're kind of in the background. So they, they don't have a lot of screen time. So they're kind of interchangeable. Um, this guy, you could, you could put any generic father figure actor from the, in 80s. That, from yeah. the 80s in that yeah. role and they would have fit. The, the, <laughs> when I, when I uh, popped the movie and I'm like, oh, the, the biggest thing I remember this guy from is the movie The Substitute because Tom Berenger makes him shit his pants at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's, that's how the career I of Clifty Young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is, sometimes you watch these old '80s movies, like especially these are kind of kind of family friendly, but yeah. with a serious, dramatic mm-hmm. bent, and you can tell that the actors are maximizing their minutes. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. He does not really seem to be maximizing his minutes. He's just sort of doing what's on the page mm-hmm. and really adding nothing more to it. Yeah. And I and I feel like there was more that he could have done with it. So I'm with you. I say you could mm-hmm. recast him. Yeah. Not just because he's a dick. We could recast <laughs> him because there was more opportunity there. You haven't seen your son in eight years. Right. You know, and you, you think about what he could have done with that scene. Mm-hmm. In, especially in comparison to what... What David, aka you know Joey Kramer, what he's yeah. doing in that scene? Yeah, he's bringing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's bringing it, and the dad is it's on the page for him to do something and to be mm-hmm. emotional. And I don't think the performance is there. No, so well, recast him. And there's also that scene where he comes into David's room where he's looking through the telescope at the girl he yeah. likes, and they have that 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 almost connection where they're talking about, well, why don't you just go up and talk to her? That kind of thing. And that yeah. could have been like a, a very poignant moment between them. And it, yeah. it was just another scene, really. You could give that same role to somebody else and they'd find a way of being more memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, the same kind of goes, in my opinion, with Veronica Cartwright, who was a child actress herself. Yes. This is her triumphal return. Of course, you know her as from Alien mm-hmm. uh, and many other movies. She plays Helen Freeman, the mom. She does a little bit more. She brings a little bit more emotion and yes, that kind of a thing. And but she's, again, she's more re- she's more rec- recognizable as an actor yeah, than the other that's guy. That's true. That's um, true. But she she does, and like I said before, there's just not a lot for them to do because they they don't have as yeah. much written on or or as much di- dimension to their characters. Yeah. Um, they're just more of a plot device than than yeah. actual in-depth three-dimensional characters so there's there's not a lot they could do but i think she she brought enough to where she's memorable and 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 sets herself a little bit apart from just just a regular character yeah the guy who shit his pants yeah substitute (laughs) (laughs) all right so we'll give her a pass i I, Mm. I, will give her a pass you've persuaded me let's move on to making her feature film debut Sarah Jessica Parker yes, as Carolyn McAdams. Yeah, uh, pass or recast? I love that she's in this movie uh, because that's another reason that that it kind of sticks out in pop culture. Yeah. That it that it yeah. was her first movie and she had this smaller role in it. And yeah. it's so funny because she did an interview a couple years ago where it was like 
because I think it's it's for some magazines YouTube channel where the, where they'll interview celebrities or, or actors and they'll go through like their most famous roles things like that uh, and they're yeah, asking yeah. her about Flight of the Navigator about well, what what drew you to Flight of the Navigator and she's just like what 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 drew me to what she's like it was a paycheck I got a role and I wanted to work like she has <laughs> she has no nostalgic or, or fond memories. <laughs> She's like, I don't know what my character was or what the plot was. I just did a job. She's wow. like, no love lost <laughs> for this movie at all. She's just like, I got a paycheck. That was it. That's that's what drew me to Flight of the Navigator. Well, then I'm not going to feel bad for what I'm about to say. Right? Again, <laughs> you give that role to, say, Ali Sheedy. Yeah. That would work. Then mm -hmm. that suddenly becomes a character. Yes. Even mm -hmm. with, even with, you know, she's just the delivery girl, or whatever, who mm -hmm. delivers, has a, and that doesn't even really make sense because the robot's doing the deliveries. So yeah. she's just there to monitor the robot doing the mm -hmm. deliveries, I guess. I don't yeah. know. It seems redundant, but um, <laughs> she's a teenager who works for NASA following robots around who are delivering food and different stuff to different. NASA mm -hmm. prisoners, which right. I'm not sure is a, a real thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just really strange that I, I guess you could say that it was pretty obvious that she's just in it for the paycheck because it, again, there's supposed mm -hmm. to be a little bit of flirtation. She's the older girl. Yes. Well, originally that character was going to show up at the end of the movie as a kid because the girl yeah. that plays the the little crush that he's got on auditioned for the role that she got and also the younger version of sarah jessica parker yeah. so there so th really her role is just a holdover from the original script because it would have tied it back around where oh they can they can have a relationship now because it's not illegal anymore you know? <laughs> <laughs> she's a kid she's not an adult well, because, yeah, because they're actually the same age. They're yes. the same age. Yeah, he's been gone for eight years. Yeah. So she's 20 and he's a little boy. And that's right? creepy. It's yeah, very creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there was a scene that was even storyboarded where they, like, he goes back to school after mm -hmm. the summer is over and she's in his class. Yeah. Yeah. Or so, in his new middle school or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that was supposed <laughs> to be like, oh, like he knew her or whatever. And, yeah, a little bit of. Like he's finally gets a because the whole like he likes the neighbor girl that doesn't have a conclusion that just no. disappears yeah and it's like okay well what was the point of that and there's no payoff with the Carolyn McAdams character but still she's given a few scenes here or there and she's essentially uh what who played that the, that character in Project X oh that, helped, that was Helen Hunt was it Helen Helen Hunt, Hunt. yes yeah she's almost in the Helen Hunt role where mm -hmm. instead of helping chimps escape. She's helping David escape, mm -hmm. uh, which if this had been a canon movie, the <laughs> the role of David would have been played by Deep Roy as a chimp. Yeah. <laughs> da da David would have been a chimp that was abducted from a UFO by UFO. Oh, my gosh. A talking chimp. A talking chimp, Lindsay. <laughs> hey, yeah. yo. Would you fuck this monkey? <laughs> Menachem Golan would have screamed at Sarah Jessica Parker at 19 years old, asking oh her if she'd God. fuck Fuck a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought about like, what if, what if this ended up, this came out under Canon Films? Who would have been in it? Holy shit! <laughs> oh my gosh! Like Chuck Norris would have been the voice of Max. Oh, and, 100%. And or Pierce, or not Pierce Brosnan. Uh, 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 Charles Bronson. <laughs> Charles Bronson. Hey, you, you are uh, the you navigator. Son of a bitch. <laughs> 
The flight of the navigator. Huh? What the fuck is a navigator? You, you, you got my star maps, you <laughs> son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Hundred <laughs> percent. No, 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 no. No, we're way off. That's funny. We're but way, way off topic. Dom DeLuise would have been the voice of Max. Yes, that is. That would have worked perfectly. Dom DeLuise <laughs> as Max, David Mendelhall as, or Deep Roy as David. It'd be mm -hmm. a monkey. It'd be a talking monkey. It'd be a talking monkey. Yeah. Oh my God. You're yeah. All right. Let's make, let's let's go from making fun of long dead Hollywood producers to. Uh, a 45-year-old man who once played an 8-year-old in a movie, Albie Whitaker as young Jeff. Um, I, I guess pass because he does a very good job of being that piece of shit that 80s younger yes. brother. Annoying yeah. little shit. Yes. Works yeah. perfectly. Down from his little cotton shorts to his high socks. And to his glasses. His, his creepy <laughs> to catch a predator glasses. I don't know when those glasses... Okay, those glasses have had a life, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. Those glasses went from being the glasses that basically anybody who had to get glasses had to have mm -hmm. because all glasses were terrible. Right. To then becoming the standard issue pedophile glasses. Yes. That was the <laughs> look of all sex offenders. <laughs> the, then it went hipster. It did. So only hipsters wore it. And now they're just normal glasses. They're just again. normal glasses. They have been on a journey. They've Those been glasses on a style have been. <laughs> <laughs> Very few things get, get absorbed into the sex offender community and make their way make back their way to normal back. society. It's these glasses and members-only jackets. Yeah! <laughs> That's it! Yeah. And a few Hollywood producers. And a couple of those, yes. Oh. <laughs> and the guy, the, guy, the, the guy who made Jeepers Creepers. Oh, God, uh, that the, guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, let's go to old Jeff, Matt Adler. Uh, mm -hmm. I think he's the only one of these family members that actually stands out. Yes. I think the connection between him, his older brother is mm -hmm. now his younger brother. Yes. And he's the younger brother who's now eight he, years older than his older brother. Yes. And, or however, whatever the difference would be, maybe mm -hmm. six years older or whatever. But still, the point being, he's, he's now much older than mm -hmm. his younger brother who hasn't aged a day. A day. In eight years, and I think the scenes between them are actually are pretty effective. They I like are. It. They are. Yeah. And in that documentary that we watched, that actor talks about how he approached the role, which made sense. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, your older brother is now younger than you. You haven't seen him in eight years. He was declared dead. It's like, how would you, how do you yeah. relate to each other? And and especially that first scene in the hospital where they're kind of reconnecting and, and saying some of the old things they used to say to each other. Yeah. It, 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 it just works very, very well. Yeah, because what's interesting, the choice they make is that the, the family, mom, dad, and brother, are freaked out but are also accepting that this mm -hmm. is their son. Yeah. And there is a beat with Veronica Cartwright where she's basically like, I know my son. Mm -hmm. This is him. And, and, I'm, and it's like, okay, that is... If you're a desperate family who the they don't dive into it, but the implication is like they're worse off after he dies. I have a lot to say about that whole thing. <laughs> so the implication is is they've spent their all their money as a family like trying to find him and mm -hmm. advocate for whatever, and now they're like yeah poorer for it. 
and they're living in a shittier Florida house, but yeah. still seems pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, whole the whole first half of this movie is a horror film. Yes. It's a horror yeah. film. Just this kid yeah. goes missing and then his parents' life is just destroyed because just their physical appearance. You can yeah. just see the emotional toll it's taken on them, especially yep. the mother. The difference between yep. Veronica Cartwright earlier and later, you see the effect and the toll this has taken on her. Because imagine your kid goes missing. You have to have him declared dead. Yeah. Which doesn't happen all that much. You know, that's a rare thing with missing kids to have them declared dead. That's crazy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden your kid shows back up and they haven't aged a day. And it's been almost a decade. It's been almost a decade. Yeah. That, yeah, insane. that's a mind fuck. It's, it's an insane it's, mind they, fuck. They don't really harp on that aspect of it a lot. I mean, there's the there's the realization that we follow to that conclusion in the movie, but we don't sit with the fact of what this family's been through and it's 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 insane it's horrifying <laughs> it's horrifying well, it, <laughs> i believe the family's willingness to accept that this is their son mm -hmm. because they're put in such tatters that yes. you would be desperate it's like i don't care that he hasn't aged a day like mm -hmm. i guess we'll, we'll take him a doctor and figure out why right we just we're just so happy we want our boy back yep but david is terrified of them because they don't look like the parents he nope. remembers his brother looks is a different person to him basically yeah. and to him he just fell down a, a, yeah it's a, only a, it's a only crevice. been like an hour yeah he's like what are you talking about yeah yeah i was just going over to pick up my little brother mm -hmm. i fell into a hole hit my head or whatever you mm -hmm. know not got knocked out woke up it's been seconds it's been minutes for him yeah maybe an hour yeah. and eight years have gone by and the whole world's changed yeah. because he left in the 70s and now mm -hmm. he's back in the mid 80s music has changed culture's changed he everything's has no different idea who twisted sister is <laughs> <laughs> movie opens up with a ufo fake out slash dog frisbee competition mm -hmm. can we talk about the opening piece of music here you said it reminded you of what the opening of wild things the movie, the the opening credits of Wild. That's it. Yeah, the 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 instruments they're using is very different because he did because Alan Silvestri did not have an orchestra or work with an orchestra yet. No so budget. No budget. So he used a lot of <laughs> synthesizers to to yeah. do the score, and it works. So the <laughs> I you say Wild Things. This just shows the divergence of our brain patterns. <laughs> I, I just wrote, is this the dopest Nickelodeon kid show open yes. ever? Yes. It reminded me of wild and crazy kids. Well, wild and crazy kids, if you remember mm -hmm. that. I'm like, this sounds like wild and crazy. You, you, we both had wild, wild things and wild and crazy kids. Yep. As far as I know, Omar Gooding Jr. never had a threesome in a pool. But at least, at least not on Nickelodeon. At least not on basic cable. Not no. <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. did. He won an Oscar. That guy's had a couple threesomes in a hot tub. Uh, probably on the set of Snow Dogs. Anyway, probably. <laughs> uh, any movie that decides to open with an adorable dog montage is money. Mm -hmm. All these dogs are long, long dead. If you ever see a dog in a movie, that dog died before you were born. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we open on July 4th, 1978, which is, I think, at a, with an extremely accurate, as we were talking about, portrayal of kids and siblings, mm -hmm. especially in that era yeah the only th the only thing that wasn't accurate is is did they use the f slur i think they do don't they yeah because <laughs> yeah. i think they edit because on disney plus that part's 
they they dubbed that over. It's not. Did they really? I, yeah, because I didn't catch it this time. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> I think sure. They dubbed it over. I don't think I. I'm pretty sure at one point he calls somebody calls somebody the F slur. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, we get another <laughs> UFO fake out, which I thought was like pretty amazing. And I'm like, wait a minute, this movie is fucking with us. It is. Because it's like, you're here to see the <laughs> UFO movie, so we're going to keep faking you out mm-hmm. that this kid's just going to get abducted from his dog frisbee 4th of July tournament. <laughs> and he's not. He's just like a thing, passes a cloud, passes oh, the sky. A blimp. Or, or blimp. A blimp, yeah. <laughs> uh, we get a grease needle drop, uh, mm-hmm. which is just like a guy jerking you're himself off. the one off. that I want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, gosh. The thing that was scary accurate here, and I, I, I don't want you to have to disparage your own mother here, uh, but I'll disparage, <laughs> I'll, I'll disparage other people's moms. <laughs> Veronica Cartwright has that mom voice and face that they all had in the early 80s, mm-hmm. which all that means is that she would have been smoking a pack of cigarettes a day since 1968. Yes. Yes. Moms were <laughs> old. Early 80s moms, their clothes looked old. Their hairstyles were all variations of a perm. They wore culottes. (laughs) They wore culottes. As you said that in a very Midwestern way. That was Barb and Star action right there. Or culottes. Yes. (laughs) She looked like a mom who'd be eating fat-free salad dressing on a -hmm. a salad with full of cheese and eggs and thinking that that was healthy. And she would have, a, she would have of, a tab that she's drinking. Yeah, tab and cottage cheese, probably. <laughs> she would have cottage cheese with a salad loaded mm-hmm. with fat-free dressing <laughs> to try or or eating only a grapefruit for breakfast to watch her weight. Mm-hmm. And in the background, who do we hear but the voice of long dead radio icon Casey Kasem? On with the countdown. And uh, I was hoping he would break out into now we're going out to a long distance dedication. <laughs> And this one is about kids and pets and a situation that we can all understand, whether we have kids or pets or neither. It's from a man in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And here's what he writes. Dear Jason and Lindsay, this may seem to be a strange dedication request, but I'm quite sincere. It'll mean a lot if you play it. Recently, there was a death in our family. There was a little dog named Bruiser, but he was most certainly a part of. And I just wanted him then to go on. Goddamn death dedications. I really... Disney Plus oh should get, get rid of homophobia and add Casey Kasem cussing mm-hmm. into the background. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Shithead Jeff, who is fond of getting his brother killed and mocking the developmentally disabled. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the word. I don't think it's the F word. I think we use the R word in this movie, which yes, is very that's accurate. What yeah, is. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is. That dehydrated pizza face. <laughs> yeah. Whatever that yeah. means. Which isn't, a, which isn't a slur yet, but leave Lindsay some time and she'll It'll get, get it there. It'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Jeff seems like the kind of kid that would get in trouble for putting fingers in his butt and smelling them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He's, uh, he's that kid in class. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David has to go pick up his little brother from a friend's house. I can't imagine that kid having any friends. Leave it to an 80s film to be like, your brother's walking home alone in the woods, so I'm going to send you out alone (laughs) to meet him in the middle of the deep, dark Florida jungle across a train track. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One of our miners is out there in the Okeechobee. Right. Yeah, in Gator Alley. 
So you, he might be getting pulled into a swamp by a gator. Yeah. So I'm going to send my slightly less minor <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, my, my slightly older uh, minor child. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's the one that shithead Jeff gets killed. Uh, and, you know, that's the one thing they don't ever explore is when there be some sort of guilt. On, well, I guess they kind of do it. He's like, the, yeah, the, the little brother has a little bit of guilt. And yeah. And oh, my God, they talk about it in the movie where the parents like made him go hang up uh, missing posters for this kid every Saturday. Yeah. It's like he feels for- shitty enough that that he thinks, you know, he scared the, his brother and something happened after that. Now you're making this child go hang up missing posters every week for years yeah (laughs) that kid's not gonna need therapy (laughs) there's so much that we don't explore and i get it would throw the calibration of the movie way off because you're right you you pitch this a slightly different way it's a horror movie you can turn this movie and like if they redid it they could redo it easily as a horror film or a very hard sci-fi film or as a backdoor reboot of extra Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Where David comes back after eight years and he thinks he's David, but mm-hmm. he's not but really he's not David. David. <laughs> yeah. And the family's like, no, NASA, you can't have him to run your test. This is our boy. This is our son. And, and then shit gets really freaking weird. Really after weird. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Toy soldiers and snake eggs and mm-hmm. weird shit. Um, yeah, so David falls to the Okeechobee, luckily isn't eaten by gators, instead he's abducted by a UFO, uh, but we don't know that yet, that's interesting, again, the movie kind of fakes us out, Mm -hmm. instead, David wakes up, we think no time has passed, Mm -mm. he goes to return to his home, only to find a very careless elderly couple in his house Mm -hmm. that make almost zero effort to help a very obvious scared little boy, Zoomers, this is where we have to have a, this is what us old timers know. In the 80s, old people, people, adults would just let children die. Yeah. There were no helicopter parents. No, you were, they, you left the house in the morning and you didn't come home until the streetlights went on. And between them, your parents did not give a shit where you were. Yes. (laughs) As long as you were within shouting distance, yes, that was or it. at or at another forty-year-old uh, mom who looks seventy-five years mm-hmm. old. If they, she had that mom's phone number, and they could talk about cottage cheese and sliced yes. grapefruit together, <laughs> and she knew she could hear you playing in the background, or oh, they're outside. <laughs> oh yeah, they're outside. Yeah, it's eh? fine. Yeah, oh, it's fine. Just hours just, upon hours of unsupervised shenanigans. Which was mostly <laughs> sticks. It was yes. mostly sharpening I, sticks and jabbing each other. I say this all the time. Kids these days do not know the pleasure of going outside and digging a hole in the dirt with a stick. They don't, <laughs> they don't appreciate it anymore. <laughs> you know, when we started this, I didn't believe that you were a grandma. But now, <laughs> after that comment, I do. That's some... That, you just threw off. You went from horror hostess vibes to granny vibes real right. quick here, Washburn. <laughs> Damn Speaking of vibes, these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking, <sighs> gutter snipes, street urchins. <laughs> Speaking of uh, looks and vibes, the look and vibe mm-hmm. of this movie is 
family-friendly close encounters of the third kind, basically. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, where it's darker than you think. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, close encounters. And you're like, I don't remember them killing this kid. No, and or trying to take this kid. You and know? similar E.T. vibes, especially with yeah. the, the men in black stuff. You know, it's yeah. kind of ominous and spooky. Some spooky lighting, stuff like let's, that. Let, let's, let's spend a little minute. Let's spend a minute there. David goes to the cops because mm-hmm. the old people finally are like, well, the, maybe actually, we the old should lady, call someone. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should call somebody. This boy is uh, having a nervous breakdown on our stairs. Going, yeah. where are my mom and dad? <laughs> and they, they're just they're upset that he's interrupting the Wheel of Fortune. Right. And um, <laughs> they finally call the cops. We have a, 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 an officer. And based on that documentary, this movie seems to be the peak of that guy's life. I know. He was very excited. <laughs> very <Yeah>. excited. <laughs> um, and he's like, okay, like they find him in the missing kid, the dead kid database. Mm-hmm. And they they track down who they think his parents were a decade ago. Right. It's not where David remembers. They're now living yeah. under a bridge. <laughs> and uh, it still uh, seems like a kind of nice 80s yeah, house. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's not terrible. but Yeah, it's just in a shitty neighborhood kind of. Mm-hmm. And he goes to the hospital where one of the producers stood in as a doctor because they, <laughs> they couldn't cast somebody as a doctor. Um, and then... Howard Hessman from Head of the Class and WKRP in yes. Cincinnati and Clue shows up and he seems like he's definitely going to be marked as the villain. Mm-hmm. But instead, at a certain point, the NASA subplot just completely disappears for the movie. It disappears. And I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, looking at this movie as a whole, there really is no villain. Per se, there's no villain. I mean, there's slight conflict where they just want to know what's going on. And, you know, he's trying to get home and they're trying to stop him. Not really stop him and take him away again. Maybe they don't ever say like, oh, we're going to get this kid back and lock him away forever. There's no nefarious vibes from them. They're a little sneaky. Yeah, you know, they yeah. they definitely got, uh, you know, a hidden agenda that they want. And, and they're obviously lying to the parents like, oh, we'll only take him for 48 hours when obviously they need more time. But you see those those moments with Howard Hessman's character where like this is going to take longer, you know, and they're they're not abusing him. They gave him G.I. Joe toys to and play Transformers. with and Transformers in and 1986. That's yeah. peak. That's Kid a them. hot ticket. That's a hot ticket. And, and cable. <laughs> and cable. They gave him cable in 1986. Right. Oh, my yeah. gosh. He's living the yeah. life. <laughs> He's, he could watch MTV as a 10-year-old boy in mm-hmm. 1986. Mm-hmm. He was living the life. All the tab and RC Cola a boy could drink. <laughs> what to do while you're waiting for old Coke to return? You may never return to old Coke. NASA ends up putting him on lockdown, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it, the a typical '80s movie would definitely play up like like ET, like the mm-hmm. the bad guys are the Men in Black, and yeah. NASA, I guess, are ostensibly the villains, but they just seem to really want access to the star charts. Yeah, they just want, like, they just want the information and to know what's going on. Yeah, they're like, hey, these are galaxies we've never even heard of before, and they're like, not like, just, oh, let's dissect his brain or anything right. like that. There's nothing like that. <laughs> Nope, nothing like that. And then they track him for a while and chase him for a while. And then they mm-hmm. kind of end up closing in at his location at the end. But it, it, not really. It's just no. it kind of what's re- like the, the girl, the neighborhood girl he has a crush on. That kind of fades away. Mm-hmm. Carolyn McAdams kind of fades away. Yep. Um, 
that NASA thing, it's kind of there, but it kind of fades away. Mm -hmm. There's all these things that are like tropes of 80s movies that are present, but are left kind of, they're introduced and then they just sort of fade away. And then it just kind of becomes a movie about this kid flying around in a spaceship with B-roll of mm-hmm. different <laughs> parts of the America. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know that this is actually a movie that should hold together, but I think it does. But it does. It still works. There's just, there's not a lot of stakes to it. No. Which, which, which is fun and easy for a kid's movie. Cause, cause you watch this as a kid and you're like, oh, that'd be so cool if I had my own ship and I could, you know, go anywhere I wanted to with this cool sidekick and stuff like that. And th- that's what draws you in as a kid is is that adventure aspect to it. Where like, what if this happened to me and I had my own spaceship and I could tell it to go wherever I wanted to. And I'd be away from my family and they couldn't tell me. <laughs> they couldn't tell me what to do and stuff like that. So, I, I mean, it's, it's like a fa- it's a power fantasy type of film for a little kid. Yeah. So we get the twisted sister joke. He gets confused about gender and pronouns. And it's like, get with the times. They fat shame Al at his alligator farm. Yep. There's fat <laughs> shaming. Cancel this movie. Cancel, Cancel this it. movie. <laughs> We get a joke about new wave and new Coke. Yes. And it's like what's what what people don't realize about new Coke is it actually existed longer. Like it, they didn't discontinue it into like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they stopped marketing it because it was such a blunder. It was so hated. It, it basically gave Pepsi the edge. Yeah. Pepsi went from being this off brand pop, which is a Midwest way of saying it. <laughs> uh, I, I don't say soda. I do not say cola. There, what do you say? You're an Iowa. I, when I grew growing up, we said pop, but I say soda now. <laughs> no, that's wrong. It sounds wrong to my ear. It's pop. So <laughs> it's, pop, it's pop. And uh, yeah, it gave Pepsi the edge. And then they got Michael Jackson, which is speaking yep. of, I guess, a pedophile has been mainstreamed uh, and allegedly and all this sort of stuff. So any, anyway, um, by the time this movie came out, Lindsay. New Coke wasn't a thing anymore, really. No. It existed, but nobody existed, was talking about but, it. Yeah, everyone hated it by then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was 85 to 85 was the lifespan, really, of New Coke. Mm-hmm. So it was like a timely reference, I guess, when they were recording it. But it was not by the time that this movie came out. No, not and at so all. A lot of the humor doesn't <laughs> land that well when, it, when, when it's not basically Paul Rubens riffing. Yeah. And doing his best Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. It is the humor doesn't really work. So no, because if you tried to introduce this to your kids now, they would not get those references. They not just at all. Would not no. understand them. <laughs> like what the hell is Twisted Sister? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, What's the whole Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Starsky and Hutch. What the hell? So we we the uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, who should have been Helen Hunt, uh, <laughs> sticks his ass into a robot, and mm-hmm. then the robot helps him escape. This is finally 45 minutes into a 90-minute yes. movie. We finally see the goddamn ship. Ship, yes. Yeah. In all of its glory. So it, it was Edward, I- uh, Edward Ith, is that how you pronounce his name? Who I did the, think so. Who did all the futuristic interior design. Uh, you'll recognize it because he also worked on Back to the Future 2. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, I'm going to get a little nerdy here again on you. <laughs> The walls were vacuum-formed UVX plastic. Mm-hmm. And this is the coolest thing about them. You could shine direct light, so set lighting, on them, and you wouldn't see through it. 
But if you took even a small, like a pen light behind it, that light would shine through. Mm -hmm. So every time Max, this eyeball, is interacting with a panel of this like weird, almost seamless interior, um, the way the computer registers it, I guess, is what we're supposed to make from it, is these lights, these weird lights begin to appear. Mm -hmm. All they did was they took those like fiber optic lights that you could get like party stores mm -hmm. that were multicolored. They just had a guy back there, like brushing the, <laughs> where he thought the puppet was. It's and an it amazing. Works. It's an amazing effect. It looks digital. Yeah, it looks it does. digital. Like like they did some just kind of glossy, glossy yeah. layover on it, but they didn't. It's all in camera. It's great. It's all in camera, and it was all in Norway. All in Norway. Uh, <laughs> the ship speaks for the first time, uh, and it's. What we said, it's a typical, very kind of standard robot-y sort of voice. Mm -hmm. And this is probably the most famous thing of every baked in everybody's brain is when he says Compliance. 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 Well, excuse me. Compliance. <laughs> that is in your brain, right? Them doing Beach Boys and then mm -hmm. him saying compliance. Now, let's talk about the escape. Now, they get out of NASA because they come up with some kind of, it's the old humans use only 10% of their brain. Trip, yes. <laughs> which is not true, Lindsay. No, it's not. You know, you're, you're, you have a uh, MFA and English lit. Um, <laughs> But you have a doctorate in neurobiology, uh, so you're actually Dr. Lindsay Washburn. Yes, As I a am. neurobiologist, <laughs> how much of the human brain is actually used? All of it. Yeah. yeah. All of it. <laughs> yeah, folks, you use all of your brain. Otherwise, you would have a real problem on your hands. Little bits. <laughs> So I don't know where we came up with the idea that we only use 10% of our brain. I think it's, it was an internet thing and people just shared it and bought it. It's just one of those things that started out on the internet and people just accepted it as fact for some reason. This movie predates the internet I by know, at least a crazy. decade. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a science fiction trope that has worked its way as misinformation mm -hmm. into the real world. Just like lizard people. Um, <laughs> Max is funny. But in a low-key way at the beginning, because he, mm. there's a weird, he doesn't understand certain things about human beings. No. And the whole I point of his character. I do not understand promise. Yeah. Things he doesn't understand. Concepts yeah. he doesn't grasp. <laughs> he was sent from this Phalon mm -hmm. uh, uh, planet to collect different species, and Max chose David uh, as a representation of humans from Earth, Earthlings. Mm -hmm. And then he said... And then we filled your head with a bunch of star charts just to see what would happen. And it leaked. And, he was like, and then he was like, well, what went wrong? He's like, you leaked. leaked. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, it means they broke a child's brain just they to did. see if they could. Yeah. He's oh like, I just, filled your, I just filled your primitive brain, is what he says, with all of the knowledge of the galaxy just to see what happened. And it shattered this young boy's mind. Again, it's a horror movie, right? It is. It is. And speaking in the darker version of this, you know, Matt, because you're thinking, okay, he's from a planet, but is it a planet full of sentient ships? Yeah. But no, he's AI. And so the, mm -hmm. in the original script, it was called Vanished. You can find it online. Uh, the Phalons actually showed up and they were like giant evil alien monsters oh who were hunting for Max because Max had taken a shine to this boy and mm -hmm. 
and was like, I'm not going to let you, I'm not, you're supposed to take him back to Phalon because they were going to do experiments on all those creatures. Mm -hmm. They weren't just passive observers. Max was collecting data so they could experiment on things and then probably conquer the universe or whatever. And so there was a whole storyboarded sequence of them looking like something out of like Return to Oz, real oh creepy God, looking real aliens. Creepy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hunting this little boy down and trying to destroy Earth because Max broke protocol. It's bad. Ah. So we don't get that movie. We get no. funny Max who doesn't understand urination. Uh, and then uh, this super advanced AI uh, flies directly into uh, Transformers and gets his hard drive wiped. And so he, he doesn't have. Because he was looking at flowers. He yeah. was distracted looking at flowers. Yeah. So <laughs> what that tells you is that they took him, this movie, in a much more sweeter, family-friendly yes, kind of direction. And yeah, he's looking at flowers. So he needs to get his data back. So he, he came back for David to get the mm -hmm. star maps out of his head. And Max is, I never knew this as a child, a Trimaxion drone ship. That's why Max is short for Trimaxion. Mm -hmm. And then we get a very scary monster puppet gallery. Can yes. you begin to explain? Now, okay. On the documentary, they said <laughs> the one was supposed to be a, a sex, sex worm. Sex worm. Yeah. Is that just a term for penis? Lindsay. It's got to be. It's got to be. And the, the cold that it had yeah. was some kind of sexually transmitted disease or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you, d you did your undergrad in urology. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> as a urologist, well, you're not a licensed urologist. We have to no, clarify I don't, that. But I it, don't have a license yeah. to practice, no. What kind of <laughs> intergalactic STD, uh, uh, sexually transmitted it illness, It was some kind STI. of space chl chlamydia, I would, <laughs> yeah. I would suspect. Yeah. A lot of discharge <laughs> on that penis. A lot of discharge, penis. yes. Yeah, a lot of lumps, <laughs> postules, seepage, and drainage. Yes, yes. Yeah. A lot going on there. <laughs> and what is all of the sexually transmitted filth on this weird little uh, penis? What is it made up of? It's made up of, um, I can't remember the first thing they used, but the second was KY jelly. <laughs> yes, yes. It was like a Clairol. It was Clairol shampoo or conditioner yes, or something. Yes, like that. Yeah. Uh, Prell. Prell. Prell, yeah. That's yeah. what it was. Prell conditioner and KY jelly. <laughs> and I'm, I'll be honest with you, I forgot this little monster was in there. And it is disgusting. It is so gross. It's truly gross. And now when you realize it's basically an encephalitic penis, <laughs> you're, you're, you're like, oh, God. And it sneezes. And I, you know, as a, as a man, I know a thing or two about a thing or two. <laughs> I don't think human genitals sneeze, at least not in that way. I, they're not supposed to, anyways. Dear Ben's Lords, <laughs> male or female, if your genitals are sneezing, please go see a doctor. There's an issue. You need a yeah. shot or a cream of <laughs> yeah. some sort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go, and go, please reach out to your local NASA uh, yes. office, and they'll uh, run some experiments on you. You're, you're in a Brendel Fly Jr. situation. <laughs> That's what this reminded me, though. This creature reminded me of the thing the guy turns into at the end of the fly. That's too. true. Yeah, just very slimy and and yeah, uh, ugh, ugh. yeah, yeah, formless and, and icky. <laughs> now, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. I finally got the name 
for a creature. I want it in my book bag from the time I was five yes. years old. He's so cute. The Puck, the Puck Marin, Marin. Yes. from, B- from Binpuka Minor. <laughs> I adored this creature as a kid. Everybody wanted one of these. <laughs> Disney owns Flight of the Navigator, at least probably the majority of it, right? Mm-hmm. They hold the rights to it. Yes. Can we please get a Puck Marin cameo in Mandalorian? That would be amazing. Because only only a select few would under would get that Easter egg, and that that would be amazing. <laughs> only Lindsay Washburn, who cosplays as Baby Yoda. <laughs> Grogu. She is the only living (laughs) 19-year-old grandmother (laughs) who also cosplays as Grogu. Yes. And it's not as disturbing as you would think. She pulls it off. She's very tiny. Pretty This is an audio format, but if you go to her YouTube channel, you'll see she's very, uh, she's She's not bigger than a Starbucks grande cup. She's it's really remarkable. Uh, So she has the proportions of a Grogu. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need a scene, so we need we need that scene so that you could do a total breakdown on your YouTube channel, a forty-five mm-hmm. minute breakdown deep of dive. an Easter egg, of deep dive mm-hmm. on Puck Marins are yes. now officially Star Wars canon. They should be, and we need an instant reaction of you with the scene, <laughs> and you are sobbing tears, sobbing when the Puck Marin. They shows finally up. put a Puck Marin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Finally, finally. We, I'd take a Puck Marin over a Porg any day. So. Oh, yeah. Fuck the Porgs. <laughs> Fuck Down the porgs. with Porgs. Down with Porgs. <laughs> Up with Puck Marins. <laughs> the next one-third of the film is just aerial B-roll and hijinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just pretty much an extended montage, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's not it's not it, unenjoyable. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's very fun to watch because they they go to different places. They go to they go to Japan. They they see yeah. these teenagers in a hot car listening to awesome music, and yeah. they ask for directions. And then they go to Al's Alligator Emporium, which is shot at Burt Reynolds Ranch. <laughs> I did not know that until I watched. Yeah, it blew my mind. This movie's got a lot of interesting tidbits. It does. It does. Oh, <laughs> uh, the big deal is he's he's. We get in the obvious ET joke where he's mm-hmm. like, uh, "You have a payphone. I got to call home." Uh-huh. And then there's all there's a family of Midwesterners uh, who show up <laughs> and they're like, "Well, where are your cheese curds, eh?" Ah. <laughs> oh, let's Look, get I, a picture in front of the fake spaceship. We all. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Wow, you guys really roll. You know, laid out the dough for this. This thing's amazing. Blah blah blah. I'll <laughs> come to find out it's a real spaceship. Mm-hmm. The boy gets on it. He goes up the liquid steps. They take off. Max uses a uh, body shaming. Yes. See you, you know. See you later, fat boy. Eat more Twinkies, Twinkies, you fat fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, that's what he says. Yeah, you fat fuck. And they fly off. You're like Jesus. And then um, he's like, because he's the 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 uh, alligator guy, the 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 rest stop guy, the gas yes. station guy, has been silent the whole time. Just staring at this thing. And so he, he finally speaks and he goes, he said he wanted to phone home. Mm-hmm. And that's the joke because it's E.T. Get it? Yes. Ha <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> so I like it. So I like that. He comes up with this plan. He's like, look, I'm a kid. And I thought this was actually really smart. 
I'm a kid. I got a spaceship, but I don't know where the fuck I am. I'm yes. now somehow I've been trying to get away from NASA that mm-hmm. I'm now on the other. I, I've traveled the whole world. I'm now somewhere in like Texas or the Midwest mm-hmm. or somewhere. I don't know how to get to Florida. I know it's basically south, yes. but once I get southeast, but once I get to Florida, I don't know where don't we because I don't know where we going, live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know where. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So he calls his brother, and his brother's like, if you can basically gets him to the general area, and he's like, mm-hmm. I have all these fireworks. I'm gonna light up a huge display that'll get you home. Mm-hmm. And now finally NASA kind of comes back into the plot, and they're like, he's gonna try to come home, and we're gonna snatch him, and blah 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 blah. <laughs> and so his brother, and this was hilarious. I turned to my significant other and I said, <laughs> there is no chance. In any the last two decades, they're going to send a teenage, untrained actor no. onto a real second-story roof. roof with real fireworks. fireworks. <laughs> and be and like, in a windstorm. Yes. And <laughs> half of them aren't even going up. They're like going no. to the side. I'm like, that. did that hit some PA that's sitting down there with the ladder? Why Correct. Did explode? <laughs> they, they didn't have a pyrotechnic guy. They had no. a real teenager lighting real fireworks, shooting them in the wind <laughs> off, off of a real roof. Oh it's insane. God. Uh, again, <laughs> nobody cared if you died. No, in the 80s. nobody cared. <laughs> so he's like, "Yeah, I don't think I don't think they let anybody do that again." I'm surprised they let me do it. I was like, "It was the right. '80s. They didn't give a shit. It was 1985. If you died, they just replaced you." <laughs> um, nobody ever heard of that guy before or since. Who gives? You know, they didn't give a no. care about him. So. <laughs> This is where we get probably like the most breathtaking kind of uh this is where they're really pushing the limits. Yes. Uh he can't go home. Basically no. the NAS is there and then his parents are old. He's like this isn't right. Like I mm-hmm. and Max earlier in the movie set up payoff is like normally when we take a subject, if we put them back, we put them back the moment we took them so that mm-hmm. no time is lost. Yes. And he's like, with you, I couldn't do that because it turns out human beings are weak bitches. And yes. if we sent you back, you, you, you couldn't handle it. Your body would explode or some shit. And it's like, well, you've already fucked this kid's mind up pretty bad, right. Max. Why not just take the chance and turn him into goo? Mm-hmm. But so David like pleads with him and it's like, Max, please, you have to take me really home because I'm never going to have a life here. NASA's no, never going to leave me alone. They're never going to leave me alone. Everything's weird with my family. I don't belong yep. here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, my parents are broken people. Right? Everything's fucked. Everything is fucked, Max, because of you. And as he kind of guilts him into it, he's like, you did this to me. You've mm-hmm. ruined my life. You've ruined my brain. Take me home. And he's like, okay, Navigator, if that's what you want, but you might not survive mm-hmm. the process. And they go through this time jump thing, uh, which gets really dark and Willy Wonka tunnel, it, river tunnel. Yes, it does. <laughs> Max, go- his eyes turn red. It starts bubbling water. And there's lightning, and they go <laughs> yeah. through this other plane of existence, and yeah, <laughs> they're in this weird like dimension between dimensions, and it seems mm-hmm. like hell. They they event horizon basically their way through hell, uh, minus the blood orgy, and yes. they come <laughs> shooting out the other side, and he wakes up in that time jump thing. The background is CG. Yes. That ship is never CG in that shot. It's a model the entire time. That's crazy. And if you look at that, you would think, okay, well, that's, this, is, this is all digital. Nope. It is an actual object optically added to a digital shot in 1985. So it's, 
pretty incredible. And it took them mm-hmm. forever to do it, but yes, it they did, did it. <laughs> okay. Um, that's pretty much the end of the movie. He's returned as if nothing, no time has passed. He's just a few minutes late to go mm-hmm. out on the boat and watch the 4th of July fireworks. Uh, presumably, there was a scene of him meeting his crush back on the dock. Yeah. When they're getting on their family boats, that's in the promotional material, which I have found online. It's not in the movie. No. So they shot more, like at least a finale to a that crush stuff. Around. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And where he finally has the guts to talk to her and say, Oh, I like you. Ooh, check <laughs> yes if you like me, whatever. Whatever kids <laughs> did in the 80s. And they just cut it. And it seems really weird. Why leave the front end and not pay it off at the end? Yeah, I mean, because you have to have some kind of arc with David's character. And the only little bit of an arc we get is that him and his brother kind of have this little bond now. You know, he he doesn't feel as dismissive towards his little brother, or as annoyed yeah. by his little brother. He he wants to have a relationship and be nice to him. And, and he shows him the puck Marin and stuff at the end. So that's really the only arc that we get to that character. You have siblings. Yes, I do. T- Twitter tells me you have siblings. <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay. If you travel through time mm-hmm. and you learn to grow as a person and to appreciate one of your siblings because now they were older than you and they saved your life with fireworks and risked their life <laughs> in a windstorm to bring you home and were the only person in your family that actually treated you semi-normal because your parents are shattered into a million pieces, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And then you travel back in time and you go back to the moment you left. You would be different towards your sibling, right, Lindsay? Yes. Because you've grown. Your sibling is still going to be that piece of shit, right? licking, dehydrated <laughs> pizza, pizza face. <laughs> fingers in his own butthole, smelling his fingers. Brother, he's experienced right? no growth. So no. after about a week, every lesson David's learned is going to be gone because he's going to hate his brother mm-hmm. again, right? Probably. And yeah. I, I'm the youngest of my so you, siblings. You, you're so the butt I'm finger. The, I'm the butt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the dehydrated pizza face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, you, yeah, no, that, that would not last. I don't know. No, because you, as the youngest sibling, you're not going to change. No. Nothing has, <laughs> nothing has happened to you. No, right? I have no reason to change. I mean, I guess some of his, the older siblings' behavior towards me would maybe change a little bit, but deep down, I'm still going to be a little shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. With shit on your fingers. We've With covered shit on this. my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when do the parents find and then kill the Puck Marin? The mother's going to end up like smashing it with a broom, thinking it's a rat or something like that. Or some kind, because he's introduced an invasive species to the earth. That's another great point. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't know anything about these Puck Marins, what they do. Or the dog is going to eat it. <laughs> Can you feed a puck marin after midnight? Right? Who knows what's going to happen? What does he eat? What does he eat? If he gets sick, you can't take it to the vet. Yeah. What do you, <laughs> like, how, like, how long does this thing live? I give it, I give it two months. Yeah. It's not going to last long because yeah. it's never existed on earth. So it's very susceptible to any kind of germs or it'll get some skin great disease point. from the, from the earth's sun. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so many things yeah. that could go wrong. There is a reboot in the works for this. And there has Hasn't been there off been and for on. for a while, yeah. Yeah. Because weren't they, they, weren't they going to do a, uh, like a limited series on Disney yeah. Plus at one time? 
Yep. That that collapsed last last as of this year. Uh, what they're going to do is Bryce Dallas Howard is set to direct a reboot slash potential sequel. Oh and so far, the only idea that they've brought out is that now the navigator is going to be a girl. I figured like, well, it would be a girl and, and like McKenna Grace would play her because she plays every young girl in every movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's getting, I mean, she's like, like 15, 16 now. So she's yeah, not, she's, she's not, yeah. it won't be available for much longer to play a role Correct. like that. Yeah. Soon she'll be washed up has been right. at 17 years old and then she'll be a grandmother by 19. The world's a crazy place. Uh, what do you, what, what would you want from a reboot? I mean, you're, you talk about this sort of stuff all the time. Does it, obviously there doesn't need to be one. No. But and we it won't have the same charm and heart. It probably won't be as dark. It probably won't be. La, la, no. la. We know this sort of stuff. It'll all be digital. It won't be impressive. Well, what do you need? For, now you're going to need a story. So what's yes. the, what the fuck is the story of this thing going to be? Well, I think I think they 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 take the the main bare bones that a a kid disappears for so many years and then reappears, um, and and the whole NASA involvement. That stuff I think will stick. But the other stuff, I think they'll change um, because, I mean, this movie, while held uh, in a lot of people's memory in a very special place, yeah, it's not as universal as some other '80s movies. It, it, it's a cult classic, but it's not—it's not up there at the top for a lot yeah, of people, right? So I think they'll—they'll they'll have more carte blanche to change things. Yeah. Without upsetting, quote unquote, the fans. And with a lot of these reboots and remakes, you get you get little winks and nods to the original where I don't know if if they would do that a lot, because a a majority of the people going to see it aren't going to be us, you know, the diehard fans. It's going to be made for a new generation. So and I don't know what little things you would put in there to kind of wink and nod at the original. You know what I mean? The Puck Marin, really. Yeah. But there's no little, little like, iconic things from this movie besides the Puck Marin and, and maybe just the ship itself that would transfer. Yeah. Like, like with the new Ghostbusters movies, you see a Twinkie, you yeah. see this and you say that, and you're like, oh, I remember this and this and this and this from the first movie, where yeah. this movie's a little different, where it doesn't have quite as much... Um, iconic nostalgia moments yeah yeah as some other movies that are being remade so I, I think they have a lot more room to to do more innovative things with it whether or not they will <laughs> remains a question because yeah. you could go with a lot of different things with this movie you could take it in all sorts of directions because that that basic story is pretty strong and and has lots of avenues to go off of. The final product of the film that we're talking about, the 86 film, is mm-hmm. one in which it's a really strong premise. Yes. That mm-hmm. I think is pulled in probably two different too many different directions because yeah. there's too many different competing visions for what it should be. Mm-hmm. And so ironically the the final this final movie is a movie that has a lot of heart. You feel yes. the mm-hmm. love and the heart and the craftsmanship that's put mm-hmm. into it. But nothing really happens. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just a kid having a day out an excursion right? with a robot, <laughs> like super cool robot spaceship. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's like a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And and then it just gets reset. So none of it really happened. And there's yeah. not even the typical arc that a character no. should have. He doesn't. It's not like never ending story where he 
learns to be brave or mm-hmm. this, that, whatever, or is grieving his mother. And he could be like Moonchild, which is apparently was his mom's hippie ass name. I guess. <laughs> uh, I guess that made never made any sense. But you don't get it. There's no, there's not that like typical, especially 80s story structure script payoff mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. And stuff was cut and then it was filmed and they didn't include it. And then other stuff wasn't filmed. And so you just sort of end up with this, like, I don't, this is going to sound overly harsh. You end up with this kind of mediocre story that mm-hmm. between the emotional vulnerability of the lead actor, who's a kid, mm-hmm. which is very hard to come by. Yes. Between an energetic uh, uh, performance with Paul Rubens mm-hmm. and a very passionate group of effects team. Yes. Who really poured a lot into this and did their best to do the best work they possibly could. Mm-hmm. You end up with this movie that has this its own kind of weird, unique charm to it. It does. And it's hard to, to put into words um, what makes it so, what, what makes you drawn to it. And, you know, like, why did you, because I mean, when you fall in love with it as a kid, it's because you picture yourself as David, like, oh, that'd be so cool. And he gets to go do all these things and stuff like that. But when you're looking at it as an adult, um, there's, there's not that same draw. With, with like adult sensibilities, there's not that same draw. Because when you're an adult, you look at plot, you look at performance, which, which Joe Crowley does a very, very, Joey Kramer does a very good performance. But other than that, the characters are kind of interchangeable. So there's nothing standing out that would draw in an adult audience to this film, unless, you know, they bring their kids to it, stuff like that. Yeah, it's a movie I have fond memories of, oh, yeah, but again, definitely. we never owned it. You know, it was on TV quite a bit, like you said. A lot. So, <laughs> but somebody else owned it, and so um, again, the special effects were pretty amazing at the time. Mm-hmm. Now you look at them, and they're they're you now appreciate the technical requirements of them. Yes, but they mm-hmm. they're not innovative anymore. Um, they've obviously been long surpassed. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a weird thing where it's at the end of the day I ended up liking it. I was nervous, mm-hmm. like I said at the beginning, like oh my god, am I going to revisit this? This thing stinks because <laughs> that's happened on this show before. Where I'm like it I'm happens. excited, but like yeah, let me fire this up. I'm like this sucked. Why did I had terrible <laughs> taste as a child? Why did I ever like this? But this was one where I was like, you know, there's not a lot happening there really. Isn't. No, but it's pleasant and it's a it very, has its charm still. Yeah, it's charming. It's it's mm-hmm. sweet but not saccharine. No. It's got a weird kind of nightmare edge to it, especially the first 45 minutes where it's just yeah. sort of like, damn, this is woof. And as an adult, you perceive it a lot different. You pick up yeah, you pick up on those those things a lot more than as a kid. <laughs> it's so as a kind of a mess, but at the end, it's a very charming mess that I don't think mm-hmm. it's just nostalgia. No. Um, I don't know that it would work on a younger child. I think it has to, I don't know that you have to have nostalgia for this movie in particular, but mm-hmm. I think you have to be somebody who's probably of the era who remembers because it's like a, it's like a relic from a bygone the way the world it used is. to work. We mm-hmm. we joked about it, but parents aren't letting their kids like go in the dark scary forest and go get no, your younger brother. All. Not you know, at all. It's, yeah, it's not happening. So it's like, oh yeah, this movie is almost like a oh, like a time machine. It's, in of it's itself a time like, capsule. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it works on that level. And I think ultimately it comes down to somehow, some way, this kid delivered a very naturalistic performance 
with mm-hmm. a mechanical puppet. Yeah. It was voiced by Johnny Five, then yes. redubbed by <laughs> Paul Rubens. And somehow Max and David have chemistry. They do. And they're the heart of the movie. And mm-hmm. it all comes together at the end. And also, there's a part of it that, that bumps my score up a little bit is they're going to make another Flight of the Navigator, but it will not be, it will not have the sensibilities of this one. No, it will, it'll be, because this one, because it's, and I talk about this sometimes, and this is my, my opinion on a lot of movies from the 80s and early 90s, is they're not overly processed. Yeah. You know, they're much more yeah. organic in the way they're shot and written and acted and performed and put together. Where today, yeah. like you said, everything's planned out, mapped out. Everything, we're going to do this and this and this. And, and everything is put through this processed filter. Yeah. And yep. where movies back then weren't. So they have that charm and, and, and they seem almost more real to us. Because they have like you, rough edges. Yeah, there's, they have rough ed- ed- edges. Yeah. So yeah. It, it just it just seems more real, and you, you seem more connected to it. Yeah. On a human level. I get why we make movies the way we do now. Mm-hmm. I just think that somewhere along the line, something is lost in the process. Yeah. And so, if you had to say for me why this movie still relatively holds up despite its imperfections. It's because of its imperfections. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we've stumbled upon. So if I had to give mm-hmm. this thing a score out of 10, now, again, this is coming from my child of the 80s, blah, 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 recognizing the craftsmanship, recognizing the, the good kid performance, which is very hard to come by, mm-hmm. especially in the 80s. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I give this thing an 8 out of 10. That's really high, but I think it's worthy of it. It's a solid B movie. Yes. Yeah, I give it about a, like a seven or seven and a half out of ten. Yeah, the the special effects that they did and just all the work that they put into to making that ship and the the experience more realistic and look realistic on camera yeah. to the best of their ability with what they had. I think they did an amazing job, and that's what what pushes it higher for me. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is our feature presentation <laughs> review of 1986's Flight of the Navigator. Lindsay, we talked for hours on end about a movie that very <laughs> few people remember. <laughs> but somebody remembered it so much they wanted right? to sponsor an episode. <laughs> if you want to sponsor an episode, just go to bingemovies.podbean.com and hit the sponsorship button. If you want more access to more content and you want to become a monthly supporter of the show and get a handy-dandy Binge Movies <laughs> membership card, which entitles you to all kind of benefits, uh, we have multiple tiers on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com backslash binge movies. You can become a binge movies video club member. You can become a clerk, which means we just basically give you a job at the store. You end up <laughs> cleaning up the Pat Memorial porn corner. We give you a mop. It's very degrading work, but you get access to our storeroom and a bunch of other stuff. You would also become an assistant manager, uh, which just means you have more responsibility for less pay. And it's, pretty rough it's really not good uh tr- trying to get teens to show up and get off of their mm-hmm. tiktok and their snapchat to stand behind the counter and chill vhs tapes in 2021 right? it's getting tough lens um <laughs> but if you don't want to deal with any of that and you just want to become somebody who's above the riffraff above the fray we have a <laughs> limited group uh we're down now to just uh, four spots left 
as we record this for our elite patrons, our patron elite. Uh, and basically, you become like a de facto producer of the show. And you get your name shouted out, just like Chris Williams got his name <laughs> shouted out just then. And you can find his Twitter in the show notes. So, Chris, there's your plug. Thank you for being an elite patron. Speaking of plugs, Lindsay, you're the best. I love talking to you. You're a great person. Uh, you, Thank you. Listen, we both know in the world of content creators, most people are shit. Uh, <laughs> They're shitty people. I, they're shitty there, people. There, there are shitty people. I, I have lucked out. Most of the people that I have collaborated with and stuff have been nothing but amazing. So I, I count myself lucky on that end. And and this podcast is no exception. So. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> but you're one of the good ones, not just from the content you create, but you're an actual human being. And I think I but I, I think the your approach to your channel of I'm just I'm just me. And if you like that, mm-hmm. you like that. If you don't, that's cool. But I'm yeah. talking about the stuff I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I'm not chasing trends. I'm not doing goofy thumbnails. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a Midwestern grandma who loves movies and wants yep. to talk about them on the internet. <laughs> I think that's a great niche uh, because it's genuine. Yeah. And, and you're a genuine person. And I think that comes across in everything that you do. It certainly comes across in our in our, in our interactions, <laughs> not just on podcasts, but behind the scenes as well. So yeah, no, it's been great because it's it's very natural and it's it's not forced and and yeah. it's just two people talking about stuff that they really enjoy. So yep. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you and your great channel and all the good stuff <laughs> that you're doing? I know you're on Bad Movie Night. You already dropped that. Where, yes. Where yes. where can they find that? And where's your actual stuff? Uh, Bad Movie Night. Uh, I. I, I've been on them almost officially a year now. I joined wow. the, the crew at Bad Movie Night. We, we go live every Monday, and then that episode is posted to YouTube every Thursday. Um, but if you want to check out my channel, it's just my name, Lindsay Washburn, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-W-A-S-H-B-U-R-N. Um, I try to put a video out at least once a week. I'm not always <laughs> that proactive. <laughs> just kind of depends um, because uh, I... I, I want to keep stuff fresh and everything, so I, I never know what I'm going to do for my next video until it hits me. And um, sometimes my health gets in the way, but I try not to let it. But I, I you can also find me on Twitter, where I, I talk about the movies I'm watching or I'm going to watch or things that are coming up on the channel. And I'm also on Instagram at, at the Lindsay Washburn. So you can find me yes. on there, on either one of those places. Yeah, and people don't know this about you, and I might even go that far into it, but all I'm going to say <laughs> is if you follow Lindsay on Twitter, she is a badass. If you see <laughs> what she has to deal with every single day, <laughs> I'm not joking. The, the, the mental toughness, the bravery that you have uh, to be put yourself out there and talking about some of, this, some of the health concerns that you have and mm-hmm. things going on, and you fighting every single day to have uh, a, not just a – average life but a great life mm-hmm. uh is awesome it's an inspiration and that's another like you don't have to do that right you could just be this girl with amazing hair on the internet talking about shooting <laughs> movies you don't have to do that you're a genuine person i think that comes across in everything that you do and Thank so you. we'd love to have you back anytime in our definitely f- we're we're big fans here of Lindsay washburn binge <laughs> movies Bad movie night. The jury is still out. I don't know about those other guys. You don't know about those. I don't know about those guys either. 
I yeah. every Monday I'm like, oh God, here we go again. No. Uh, yeah, some of the some of the gutter trash movies that they're oh talking about. Oh my gosh, like, just that's, terrible. That's the that's that's off the beaten path as far as I'm concerned. Speaking of, have you ever seen the Full Moon Pinocchio movie where the evil Pinocchio Pinocchio's Revenge is what it's called? Yes, I have. <laughs> it's been a while, but I was like, oh yeah. my god, this is a movie. This is a real movie. <laughs> An evil Pinocchio movie. Evil yeah. Pinocchio. And there's another one, I don't know if it's Full Moon, but it's it's another evil Pinocchio movie. I think it's just called The Fear. But it's it's I've never a, heard another of that wooden one. man. I think that's what it's called, just the fear. That's Could be wrong, odd. but I think I'm right. Yeah, that's very, very <laughs> odd. Well, this has been a blast. I listen, if you want to sponsor an episode, you can. I hope the low the well, he's got a nickname, Lindsay. Cover your ears. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say this in front of such a wholesome Midwestern woman as yourself. His nickname is Low Key Big Hog. Low Key Big Hog sponsored this episode. So, Big Hog, I think, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope we did this movie from your childhood justice. I I so honor your decision to give me your childhood favorites to talk about, but please be careful. Somebody sent me one and said, don't ruin my childhood. Oh, no. No. That's That's a lot of pressure. That's so much pressure. (laughs) So, yeah, so I'm going to do my best. I hope, Big Hog, we didn't ruin your childhood. So (laughs) I don't think we did. I think a lot of that goes to Lindsay. So check her out. Make sure you follow all of her stuff. Uh, There's a lot of great resources, documentaries, information about Fly the Navigator out there, too. Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. I'll link a few of them in the show notes. And until next time, binge on. (laughs) 